0: movie, why do you punish them? And I explained that when Hashem decreed that the Jews will have to be slaves before they will receive the Torah and go to freedom, before they will go to freedom and receive the Torah, so he did not decree that it has to be Egypt. That's what, number one. And even if Hashem had in mind that it would be in Egypt, because Egypt was the impure land, the worst land like the United States today. It's the source of all evilness, all lack of modesty, drugs, terrible music, horrible uh, clothing, all kinds of curses and dirty movies and Hollywood. The source of all the evil in the world comes from here and from Europe, which is, you know, children of esau So just like that, you have United States today that sell all this garbage to all over the world and destroy the whole world mentally and spiritually. Same thing Egypt was place of idol worshiping uh, all kinds of horrible uh, averot one woman marry two men men marry men women marry women people with animals all this horrible unethical lack of of morality sins uh, that people used to do was in Egypt as the Torah said to the Jewish people ke eretz mitzrayim lo ta'asu I don't allow you to behave like the Egyptian used to behave in Egypt back then. And the Gemara explained what are the horrible things this goyim used to do. And one of those things is like I just mentioned to you. So we see that first of all Hashem had had a reason why he sent us to such a filthy place. And the Gemara said that we reached already 49 gates of impurity, meaning one more gate if we would reach the fiftieth one, we would never be able to come out of there and it would be, it would be too late to save us because we will, we will be destroyed totally spiritually, completely. So therefore, we see that it was a part of the plan. Now, if it was a part of the plan, the question become even better. Why, in that case, why are you punishing them? They only fulfilled your mission. You wanted to punish the Jews, they did the job for you. The answer is, as I explained last year, the same question you can ask about the Nazis. What do you want from the Nazis? They did what Hashem wanted. He wanted to punish us. He gave us this punishment and they ran away to do what God wanted us to have, unfortunately. So the answer is, that's not how it works. After all, the Nazis and the Egyptians and the Arabs, all the enemies of the Jewish people, they choose to hurt us and to kill us, and to destroy us, that's their choice. Nobody forced it on them. They hate us, they are ungrateful to God, and they hate his children. And they want to steal what God gave us, and claim that it's theirs. So therefore, they chose to be evil and to do bad. And if you say, but it was a part of the plan, the answer is, Hashem did not tell any Egyptian, you have to go and kill Jews. He said the Egyptian has to do it, but there are many millions of Egyptians who told you to be the one to volunteer to kill Jewish children. Who told you to join the the SS and to be a Nazi soldier and to go and get Jews out of the home and put them in gas chambers. No one forced it on Hans, on Adolf, on uh, all the other Germans. Many of them ran to do the job. The other ones were sitting at home. Maybe some of them were even very upset at what's happening. We will never know. But not everybody ran to do the job. I'm sure many of them could have joined the army, but when they found out they killed children and women and people just because they are Jewish, therefore they did not want to join the German army. So nobody told you to go and do the job. Your country will do the job one way or the other, but who told you to rush and run and volunteer to do it? Because you did it, because you wanted to do it, you're gonna get the full punishment 100%, like it was not a divine decree. That's where we ended last week. And one more thing I explained, what what does it mean when we say Nehagadah, Ve'i Amda, right, Ve'i Amda we sing, la there's a famous songs about it. What does it mean, Ve'i Amda, What really was standing for our fathers and saved us as a nation. All the nations that came to destroy us, they are all destroyed. The Romans, the Babylonians, the Persians, the Greeks, many of them came to destroy us, the, the, the Egyptians, and they're all destroyed. All those empires disappeared and nothing left from them. And we, the Jewish people, although we are a very small nation, uh, everybody sees that this is a divine supervision here, that Hashem is saving us against all odds. And as we say in Agada uh, on the night of, se- of the Seder, "Bechol vador In every generation, the Goyim wants to destroy us badly. miAdam. And Hashem is saving us from their hands, otherwise we had no chance whatsoever to be saved against many, many billions of them. And we are saved constantly by miracles, just like putting a sheep to be surrounded with 70 wolves. Sheep, 70 hungry wolves that wants to eat the sheep. What are the odds the sheep will get saved again today and tomorrow? And the next day, and the next day, it's not, it's not realistic. If you remember a few years ago, I said in one of my lectures, the Arabs are killing themselves, paying fortune for terrorism, to buy weapons, to train terrorists, to do so many things, to hurt few Jews. One here, five there, 10 over here So much money, and time, and training, and efforts, and who knows what very, very stupid. All they have to do is to unite for one day, that's it. One billion Muslims, we all walk to Israel, Jordanians, Syrians, Iraqis, uh, Lebanese, uh, Gaza, Palestinians, Egyptians, walking. There's nothing you can do. They're going to start shaking their fence. The Israeli soldiers are not going to dare to shoot anybody. They're going to put their children on front like they always do and they come like a peace with white flags. We came to make peace. What are they gonna do? They bring cameras, reporters, CNN, Fox, all these things, they're all filming, all the Libras, the BBC, all the pro-Arabs channels. Wow, wonderful day for humanity. The Arabs decided to pay a visit to Israel with white flags and hug the Jews and make peace. Break the fence walk into Israel, fill up like all the streets, Israel is the size of Brooklyn, Queens Manhattan, in case you didn't know, you put 20, 30 million Arabs, you don't even need a billion. 20, 30 million Arabs of them, they sit in the middle of the street, eating, playing shesh besh, eating hummus, and a picnic in the middle of Tel Aviv and the highways, and that's it, the country is gone. There's nothing we can do, they actually took over Israel. Without shooting one bullet, what do you think, the world's gonna go against them? <laughs> now one person will make a peep against them. They'll take it over. Who prevent them from doing it? Don't think that they are so stupid. They're thinking about doing it. Now they're planning a million, a march of a million Palestinians into Israel. They're working on it, the Hamas. They tried last year. All they need is one million of them come. What are you going to do? They come to the, to the fence. They begin to shake the fence. You shoot in the air. No, nope. they're going to continue. They shoot. You're not going to be able to do anything, and then, that's it. Once they break the wall, they run into Israel, <laughs> and that's what's going to happen. You shoot. You kill ten of them. You know what's going to happen in the world: condemning Israel, sanction. We stop the help. Even Trump can turn against you. Less than you went too far. You're shooting at women. You're shooting at children. It's so easy for them to take over, but Hakadosh Baruch Hu is saving us from them nonstop. And this is, what does it mean, Vehi, the Torah. That's what kept us. Without the Torah, we have no existence. But Vehi is also Vav, six Shidre Mishnah, six uh, or, uh, six uh, series of Mishnayot. Hey, it's five. hamisha She Torah. Yud is ten. The ten commandment. And Aleph is Hashem Echad. Vehi, four letters. Vav, six. A hey, five, U ten, Aleph one. This is what kept us. That Veishamda. What's he? Hashem, the written Torah, the Oral Torah, and the Ten Commandments. That's what kept us here. Amda, That's the secret. That's where we end last week. Now we continuing Baruch Hashem. The Agada says, come and learn. Mabi Keshlavana lavan arami Lavan, as you know, was the father-in-law of Yaakov Avinu. Yaakov, his name was changed to Israel. He married Rachel and Leah, the daughters of Lavan. Lavan was a serious crook, as we read in the Torah, to the point that Hashem himself had to come and warn him once he was chasing Yaakov, trying to kill him, for living with heavy, massive cattle. That he, you know, he got a lot of cattle after they met, like a bet. Those who would be born this way are mine. Those who will be born this way are yours. And once they did that, Yaakov got very rich. For 20 years that he took advantage on him, seven years for Rachel, seven years for Leah, and six (coughs) years extra that he worked, 20 years, he was about to live with nothing. But then Yaakov tricked him. Why? With a crook, you allowed to trick the crook, in a way that you will, ge- you, will, you will get what you deserve. So if you agree with your boss in a business how much you gonna pay me? $15 an hour and how much commission? 3% from the sales that you make. And now he begins with his tricks. He give you 2%, 1% he cheat you with this customer, with that customer, this sale he does not tell you that he went through, he claims that the credit card did not go through, and you have evidence that he's lying, here you go, you know, this cell went through, and here, and you see what he's stealing from you. You're allowed to trick him to get what's yours. It's said that this is what you have to do with a crook like that, but you have to be careful not to take more than you deserve. That's where the risk is. Sometimes people say, oh, I deserve it, he's stealing from me, I'll steal from him. No, no, you can't steal from him. You can only take from him what's yours. Once it's in your hand you have now the money, okay, a customer came and gave to your boss, five hundred dollars he owed him. And you know, your boss stole from you yesterday two hundred dollars. So you're allowed to keep what's yours, but if you take more, you become a thief. You become a thief, you're nothing better than him. You understand here, it's a catch-22. You gotta be very careful. One way or the other, Yaakov tricked him, why? When the male and the female went to drink, he put sticks with all kinds of dots and shapes of sheep that some of them comes with stains on their skin, some of them without stains. Yaakov made such a shape, when the female looked at that, it affected their babies. Also today, by the way, by people, when a woman conceived, the night when she became pregnant, what she saw in the hour or two before she was with her husband, affecting the image of the baby. Meaning, beauty is something spiritual. The image of the face, the Gemara say that all the things that Hashem gave to the baby, the ability to hear, to see, to talk, and the image, the clustera panim, the image of the face, it's a part of your spirituality. You understand? That's why they say Hadrat panim, and the face of Moshe was shining, glowing. So the face of, why we call face panim? Because it reflects the inside of the human being. This is spirituality. The Kabbalists, the holy people, they can see in your face who you are from the inside just by looking at your face. One second, they look at your face, they know who you are. Why? Panim means inside. Why face call inside? Face is outside. Because it reflects the inside, the spirituality of the human being. So we see that the Gemara said that Rabbi Yochanan was sitting by the Mikveh, and, and was learning Torah right by the mikveh of the women. What rabbi will do such thing? Go sit by the, by the gate of the mikveh and all the women goes out of the mikveh. He say, good evening to you, good evening to you. And he looks at her, she looks at him and she leaves. They ask him, what are you doing, rabbi? He was very holy rabbi, very holy. They're one of the greatest in history. He said, because he was such a handsome man, very, very pretty face yet. So he said, I want that the first face that the women would see when they come out of the mikveh will be mine and not one of these Horrible looking people around that who used to walk around like this. It affects the image of the baby So they asked him you're not afraid of Ainara Everyone looks at your beauty and say oh what a handsome man, what a handsome man 500 times a week You're not afraid of Ainara. You can die from Ainara. He said to them I'm not worried about evil eye because I'm from the family of Yosef, from the tribe of Yosef, who had a special blessing from Jacob to be protected from Ainara, Ben Porat Yosef, Ben Porat Alein. Therefore I'm not afraid. From here we understand that other people should be afraid of Ainara, not to be too flashy and showing what you have, what you don't have. You know, this is uh, the things that we can learn from here. So, so what do we see here? Lavan, his, his plan was, while well, he was chasing Yaakov after his sons instigate between him and Yaakov, he took all your wealth. Well, how do you look how he ran away. So Lavan was on his way to kill Yaakov. And what happened? Hashem came to him and warned him, "Don't dare to touch him. One hair cannot fall from his head. It's very interesting that after Hashem spoke to Lavan instead of making Chuvain convert to become an Hebrew and leave his stupid idols, first question he asked Yaakov and Rachel who stole my idol? Rachel stole the idol that she doesn't want her father to be an idol worshiper. So when he chased her he screamed, who stole my idol? Yaakov didn't know she took it. She was sitting on it on a camel. And he said to her, why you're not coming down to to respect your father. She said, I'm sorry, I have my period now, I cannot come out. And Yaakov, not knowing his wife did what she did, out of anger, he said, suspecting me for stealing your idol? The one that stole your idol should not live. One sentence that came out of his mouth, and Rachel died in her 30s, 36, she died. He had to bury her on the way in Bethlehem over there. And that's the sad story. Of what happened. But what why the Agadah says that Paro killed the babies, right? Paro, Paro wanted to kill the babies, but only for a period of time until Moshe will die. There were two decrees by Paro on the boys. One decree was to kill the boys only for X amount of time until. The people, the horoscope readers that reads in the a, in a sky by the stars, they will tell him that the Savior of Israel is already died. So they, they check every day. He has to go to the water. But every day they check. No, not yet, not yet. And then Miriam put Moshe in the water and they look at the stars and say, yeah, that's it. He's in the water. He's, he drowned probably. Now you can stop killing the boys. That was one decree, but then there's another decree. The other decree was to kill the boys that all the Jewish men will die and all the Jewish women will marry the Egyptian goyim. Therefore, the children will still be Jewish slaves, but there will not be any Kohanim and any Levim, because we kill all the men. So the family of Moshe and the family of Aaron, which is the Kohen and the Levites, the Levim, are all dead, God forbid, and once they all died, there is no more Kohanim and no more Levim. If there's no more Kohanim and no more Levim, it means that there will not be Bet HaMikdash, because the Jews already knew from Avraham Avinu that after they will come out of their slavery, they will go and they get the Torah and they go to the promised land and they will build the temple. It was all a part of the prophecy. So everybody knew about it. And even the Egyptians knew. They knew that one day when Mashiach comes, that's going to be their end. So what did they do? They said, let's make a trick. What's the trick? We will make sure that they don't have Kohanim and Levim. They don't have Kohanim, they cannot have Bet that will cancel the entire plan. The same thing, by the way, the Arabs know. The Arabs, if you speak to some of the honest sheikhs, it's not easy to find, but some of them are honest enough when you talk to them one-on-one, they will admit to you that they know that when the Mashiach of the Jews would come, that's their end. They know it by tradition. They're hiding it from the people but they know it very well. Why? Because they believe in the same Torah and Tanakh that we have. They read all the prophecies in the Tanakh. To read, they know, right? They lie a lot, but when they read it, they see what's gonna be their end. They know, this is talking about us. So what did they do? The Arabs also thought to be clever. They read in the Tanakh that the Mashiach would come from the Alif mountain and come down into the Kotel, to the Western Wall. So they surrounded the olive uh, mountain with thousands of graves. They made a cemetery around it. Why? Because they knew the Jews have a rule according to the Torah. If a Kohen stands in front of a grave, he becomes, in, he becomes impure if he's next to a grave. Or in a cemetery, he becomes impure. He cannot enter Bet HaMikdash. If he cannot enter Bet HaMikdash because he doesn't have red cow, Ashes, the ashes of the red cow, that means he's worthless, this Kohen. He's not going to be able to. Same thing Mashiach. Let's trick them. We'll make the entire area graves. So when Mashiach will have to walk from here based on the Tanakh, he immediately will eliminate him. He won't have the divine power because he's going to be impure. But the Arabs made two mistakes. One mistake, Mashiach is not a regular Kohen. By Cohen, There's one rule, Mashiach, once he gets the divine power, it's a whole different story. And the second mistake they made is that when you become impure, is only from a grave of the Jews, not the grave of Goyim. You understand? So if you go and you stand next to a body of a goy, you don't become impure. Only in front of a, body of a body, if you stand next to a body of a Jew. But you also have to know this machloket, if you stand in a tent, meaning in a place where there's a body of a goy, and it's surrounded with a ceiling and walls around or a tree that is above the grave and you walk under that tree or under the tent or under the ceiling, if, the, if there is impurity by the goyim, if there is machloket between the rabbis, if it makes impurity or not. But one way or the other, it's not relevant to the Mashiach. So the Agada is saying something very interesting. Paro had decrees on the boys. But we will still have women and all the children will stay Jewish. So the Jewish nation will go on. The worst that could have happened is that we won't have Kohanim. But Lavan, if he would kill Yaakov, then the entire nation of Israel would be dead before it even started. So his plan was more dangerous than the plan of Paro. What that was the plan of Ravan, laakoret <coughs> hakol. One other way to explain that is that he gave Yaakov Leah instead of Rachel. Why? Everybody knew that the plan is that Rachel is for Yaakov and Leah is for Esav. Once I trick him and give him Leah, that's it. He already got a different woman. What will Hashem do with his shidduch, Rachel? Most likely he won't agree <coughs> to work for me another seven years. So Rachel will be available. So what's happened? Rachel is going to go to Esav. So right away the plan of the Jewish nation will be destroyed before it started. But Yaakov not only agreed to work for him; he worked seven more years and the Torah said that it was just like a few days for him. When you love a person, especially a woman, so much, you don't have any suffering in your life. When a person is in love, <coughs> real pure love, not, nothing around he cares about. I don't have, I have, I don't have, the food is good, not good, who cares? He, he doesn't even see what's around him, he doesn't care about his business, <laughs> doesn't care if the check didn't arrive, person took merchandise, didn't pay it, None of these things kills him. Why? Because he's in a dream. The phone is ringing. Oh, wow, wow, wow. we're going to go on a date now. Oh, yeah. Forget about everything. Hey, Moshe, we have bills to pay. Take care of it yourself. Why? He's in the moon, like they say in America. That's what the was. he loved Rachel so much. He walked for even seven years, if he had to. The good news is that he got her right away, you know. Right after the wedding that he had with Leah, when I tricked him, he took Rachel and then worked for her while she was with him. So he didn't have to wait another seven years. That was the whole thing. Okay. So the plan of Lavan, Hashem saved us and the plan was not successful. Now we said also in this matter, what is the connection between Lavan to the Haggadah? Why to begin with to bring him in? It wasn't in pa- with Paro in Egypt. Lavan it was it's, it's before Egypt. Why are you bringing him into the Agadah to begin with? Right? The answer is all the story between Yaakov and Lavan, it's actually what's going to happen to the Jewish children later on, to the children of Yaakov. Maase avot siman lebanim. We have a rule. <coughs> what happens to the father happens to the son. I'll give you an example. The story between Yaakov and Lavan, it's very similar to the story of the nation of Israel to the Egyptian. There's a lot of similarity. Like the Midrash in Tanhuma, Parashat Lech, this is what it says. Galut Yaakov Lecharan. Yaakov went to exile. Where? To Haran. And he worked for Lavan like a slave for 20 years and then Lavan you know in the end when Yaakov left he took all the wealth of Lavan you see the similarity the Jewish nation went to Egypt to exile then they became slaves then they left Egypt and they cleaned them out from all their wealth right? And as Hashem told Yaakov, I see all the things that Lavan is doing to you. When Lavan came back, he found out he lost all his property, just like the Jewish nation did to the Egyptians. And it's written when we left, we we made Egypt pay us for the 210 years we were there, even though it's only 86 years that we worked for them in slavery. We made them pay big time, for every hour we walk, multiplied by millions of slaves. In the end, we cleaned them out. We, you know, they were left with nothing. Their country was destroyed. Hundreds of thousands of them were dead. All the animals were dead. Everything over there became, the trees became all empty, no leaves, no fruit, no nothing. So Egypt was in the worst condition ever. Once we left there, they felt very, very badly the price of keeping us there, okay? So, same thing with Lavan, then Lavan was tricked by a stick. How Yaakov cleaned Lavan from all his wealth? He drew on sticks and he put them by the water. When the female went to drink and the male came to do what they do, the females were all looking at those sticks and that's why they gave babies with these images which all of them went to Yaakov and that's how Yaakov cleaned him out right same thing the Egyptians were punished also with the stick the stick of Moshe that Hashem said throw it in front of Paro that's how it all started with this cane of Moshe Rabenu. okay and also Ya- Yaakov ran in the middle of the night from Lavan. He rushed like a thief. Shh. Lavan didn't even realize. By the morning, he found out that his son-in-law and the and the, and the wives they all ran away. Right? Same thing Egypt did, the Jews did to the Egyptians. They left in the middle of the night. They started to leave. Right? So what happened over here? Also in a rush. So Yaakov went. Three days, three days, and Lavan chased him. By the third day, when, he, when Lavan found out that Yaakov is not coming back, hey, what's going on? Where is he? He left for good. Let's chase him. He got his sons with the horses, and they started to chase him, and they caught him in the seventh day. Seventh day, reading the Torah. That's exactly what happened with the Jewish nation in Egypt. They can. They told Paro, "We're going only for three days to sacrifice, and we'll be back." And they left. By the third day, when Paro saw that they're not coming back, he chased them with his horses. And when did he catch them? On the seven days. That's why we have Shviishel Pesach. The seventh day of Pesach is also Yom Tov. And in some places, they read a special a whole Tikkun of Shviishel Pesach. What's special about Shavuot Shel Pesach? That's when the Egyptians drowned in the in in Red Sea. And their bodies all came out, 600 carriages with soldiers, with the, with the carriages were full of rubies and diamonds, or very, very expensive precious stone. And the Jews collected more wealth when those carriages drowned in the Red Sea, more than what they took out of Egypt. That's how much wealth they got. And they saw 600 bodies, the, all, the Red Sea, spilled them all out by the shore. All the Egyptians were, tra- were drowning, they were all dead. And that's when Moshe sang, Az yashir Moshe et l'ashem. And the seven days of Pesach, And Lavan caught Yaakov and the seven days after he chased him. Three days he took him to realize, just like Egypt, three days to realize. And in the seventh day, he called him. The same thing that happened to Yaakov happened to his children. See the hand of Hashem. And also, by the way, it's the same thing today in life. Many of the things that happens to our parents reflects to our life at the same time, the same age. And sometimes people, what they do, when their parents died young, from accident or cancer, in a sudden death, obviously they were too young to die from old age and they named their children after those parents and they died the same age because they did the same mistake. They called their children after a father or an uncle that died young and then by surprise, you know, uh, someone told me that they named their son after Yoni Netanyahu, the brother of Benjamin Netanyahu that died in Entebbe in the operation and he died the same exact age like Yoni Netanyahu. Same exact age in an accident. He died over there in uh, releasing the hostages and this, this son that was named after him died the same exact age. Why? You don't wanna name a kid after someone who died young. And if you have to, because your wife is uh, fighting with you, come on, it's respect for my father, he died young. So you add another name, two names. For instance, if the father's name was Yosef, you call him Yosef Chaim. You understand, meaning not after him. And you have in mind, in the time of the breed when you name him, like Yosef at Tzadik in the Torah, not like Yosef, her father, that died age 45. You don't want to have in mind after someone with short life. So this is things that reflects in our life, as you can see. So, if you pay attention, you see, the entire story that happens to Yaakov with Lavan that's what's going to happen to the Jewish nation. That's why Lavan is in the Nehagadah of Pesach. Why? Because it was preview. Preview from what's going to happen. That's why Lavan is an Nehagadah. Also in the Holy Soar Kabbalah it says that uh, who is Lavan Arami? Lavan if you play with the order of the letters, it gives you the letters Naval. Naval, a uh, villain. Naval. Arami, if you play with the order of the letters, is Aramai. The crook, villain. The crook. Lavan Arami. That's actually his name. And that's exactly what he was a crook. The Ari Kadosh, in his speech, he named. 100 lies and tricks that Lavan did to Yaakov and took advantage on him. Didn't pay him salary, tricked him here, tricked him there, with there, with Rachel, all this. So in the middle of the Shiur, the Ariya Kadosh was looking up and he started to smile. And I asked him, Rabbi, why you stop the Shiur and you look up and you smile? He said, I just saw the spirit of Lavan. Every one of the things I told you, he was nodding with his head. But when I said this, one of the things, he started to scream, no, no, that's not true. This I did not do. So he was, he was smiling, the Ari. That 99 out of the 100, he was right. One of them was wrong. He was able to see his spirit. Mishamayim came to a lecture of the Ari 500 years ago, teaching all the tricks that he did to Yaakov. So, Lavan is a symbol of the evil inclination. What's the connection between the evil inclination to a crook? Do you know any bigger crook than our Yetzerara That fools us non-stop from the moment we remember ourselves until the moment we die? Even the last minute of your life, I'm preparing you now. Remember that. that's what's going to happen. Just before you leave the world, whether you're going to be 80 or 90 or 100, whatever it's going to be, you're going to see an image of an angel with unlimited amount of eyes. Everywhere you see, you see eyes. And it's going to be very scary. It's going to have an arm holding a sword. It's about to pull your soul out of your body. And before he does it, the Zohar say, he will make a deal with you. He will offer you a deal. He said, listen, I was sent to take out your soul, but I can leave you the soul in one condition. If you declare now that all the Torah and the mitzvot you learned and kept all your life was all a waste of time, I'm willing to give you 15 more years to your life. You won't die today. Would you take my offer? Now I want to tell you, you're thinking, come on, I'm not going to be such a fool. If I kept mitzvot 80 years, I'm going to say yes. After the 80 years of being religious, waking up every morning to shachri, not stealing, not cheating, not lying, not na-na-na, all these things I'm fighting with my etzra all my life, And now in one minute I'm going to say it was well, all a waste of time? Why it's a, it's a very serious risk? Many people do say, yeah, I regret it, and then the Satan say, adios, my friend. Not only I don't give you extra life, you're going to die, and you're going to die naked, meaning naked from mitzvot. You just lost all your mitzvot. Why? There's a rule in Judaism. If you made a mitzvah, or two, or ten, or twenty, or a hundred, or a thousand, or a million, and you say with your mouth, I regret I did this mitzvah, whatever the reasons are, the person stood you up the person he was you know a trader he was ungrateful You regret you gave them a loan or charity he gave you all the reasons in the world to regret you're not allowed to regret any mitzvah you did once you did it it's between you and hashem you got your reward written so you don't want to lose it if you say in your mouth i regret i gave him i helped him i regret i did this i regret this immediately you lose the reward of that mitzvah. Immediately. So if you say after 80 years of keeping mitzvot, I regret I was religious, that second you lost all your life of mitzvot. That's why in some of the Sfaradi Sidurim, which goes a lot by Kabbalah, you have in the beginning moda ve'gilu'i da'at, as a declaration. Declaration. Declaration of what? The Benishchai, it's in the high. you have it in the front, in the first 10 pages. It says, uh, I declare now that if I ever regret a mitzvah I did, or before I die, if I would say that I regret or I don't believe in Hashem or whatever I did right, I should have not done. I declare right now, it's not my real intention. Right now is my real declaration. I don't ever regret I did all the mitzvot. I will never ever have any doubt in Hashem, no doubt in Ulama, no doubt in my reward, and anything I say otherwise it's all dismissed. And people read it before the Tfilah at least once a week, once a month, every once in a while to do this declaration. Why you have to be so nervous from this declaration, from the trick of the satan, I tell you why. Even now, when you just heard me warning you from that, you're sure now, okay, now I don't have to worry. The rabbi just told me this trick. When it happens to me in a few years, or in 10, 20, 20, 30 years, I will be prepared for that trick. I'm going to say to the satan, lech Lazazel, get out of here. What are you fooling me now? You think I'm a fool? I already know your tricks. Don't be so sure. I'll tell you why. Because some people die in a sudden death. Let's say they got a heart attack, and they, are, they lost conscience, and they sleep in hospital two, three days, and then they die. Those two, three days, they go crazy. They have a lot of money. They have money hidden here, and money hidden there, and this person owe me 100,000, this owe me a million, uh, this one owe me that, and I invested, and I have stocks in this company. Not always the wife knows everything about it. Not everything he even told her because he keeps exchanging, buying, selling. He's not going to give her a daily report. So yes, he, he may he has a lot of many millions of dollars now that will go to the garbage. People will take advantage on his possession, like the Swiss did to the, to the Jews in the Holocaust. All the money of the Jews, all the wealthy Jews, they were putting their money in Switzerland. And then when they died, nobody knew about it. It was all with serial number. The, the Swiss stole all those billions of dollars. They stole it. Then there was a big thing 20 years ago here in New York with Como. Como the father used to be the governor here. They held the, all the money of the Swiss bank of New York. They held their money, they froze their assets. Why? And in the end they gave the Jews $100 million which was a sad joke. They stole over $100 billion 50 years earlier and in the end they gave them a hundred million which every Jew got maybe $500 or something like that. All the survivors and their children. And that was the end of it. And all the money they kept. But How do you think they became so wealthy? So that's what's dangerous about it. You understand here, at least in America, if a person died and they see no activity in their account, after a year or two, they have rules here. They send a letter. If you don't do a transaction in the account by this date, this account will belong from that day to the government to the government of United States or unless you contact us so then the widow just found out that her husband has two three million dollars somewhere oh so she can go and claim it based on the will or whatever sometimes a person didn't even write the will. so let me accept I wanna live another 15 years let me go reorganize everything I give to my children I give some to the yeshiva to the rabbi I'm gonna sponsor some CDs and books I want to take care of my soul. Then I die. But then he loses everything. Loses his mitzvot. And of course he's not going to give an extra second more life than what Hashem decided. The Satan doesn't have the authority to give a person extra life. The second that Hashem says that this person has to die, that's the second the Satan must take his soul. You understand? So that's why we have to be in cases like this very careful. So the Zohar he said that Lavan is is, uh, the significance of Lavan is symbolized the evil inclination that cheat the person and fool him all the time. But who knows what is the best trick that the Satan used, the evil inclination used to fool a person. Most of our life We are fooled by the evil inclination. And the question that we have to ask, wait a minute, Rabbi, I'm not such a fool. If I gave money to this guy, Ruben, and he cheated me once, and I gave him a second chance, and he cheated me again, after twice, I'm not such an idiot to continue to give him money and lose. I already learned my mistake. Then he can cry until tomorrow. I won't give him for the third time. So you're saying that the Satan is fooling me, 80 years, every day, hundreds of times and I did not catch the trick, how can it be? You have to be a super genius to fool a person millions of times. How can you do such thing? That's the question. The answer is, Rabotai, that the Satan he knows he cannot make you not do mitzvah. You're Baal Tshuva, you're religious. You were born to a religious family. Your father was a rabbi you now connected to a good rabbi, you're learning Torah, you're listening to CDs, you change your entire lifestyle, you are on fire to do mitzvot. You finally got what life is about. What is he going to tell you? Go on Shabbat to the beach? If Someone became a real religious Baal Tshuva and every day sits in Yeshiva and Leo. The Satan can come and say to him, Moshe, come on, what are you learning Gemara now? You can be on the beach in Bat Yam, look at this beautiful sun, birds, you know, nice. What are you doing over here? So these guys, <laughs> you're you offering me to go to the beach. You're normal. You give me a million dollars. It's not even a test. I'm not going to go there. Shabbat, it's not a mother's place. I know the punishment of someone, what someone's get for going there. You cannot fool me closing the gemara and go to the beach. It's not going to work. So how the Satan is going to get him to do such thing? The Satan, he already knows who he's dealing with. If he knows this person is fanatic, he's gonna use his weaknesses in a way that a person won't realize. Meaning, he described to you a sin as a mitzvah. I'll give you an example. You decided to give $1 million donation to a synagogue to name, to name something, uh, a department over there after your deceased father. So you say, Baruch Hashem, Hashem bless me, I made a lot of money over the years. I'm going to give a million dollars and build a synagogue, or at least a part of it, for the memory of my parents. The satan is going to show you a beautiful synagogue. Lots of people sitting over there. Here, come, someone will bring you. Come, come, come with me to the service. 500 people, you see, look what people coming here. Look at this rabbi, his college degree from Harvard, from Yale. He's a professor, he's this, he's that. You're going to make us a section over here. We're going to put your name over here. And he's thinking, wow, what a fantastic opportunity. And he gives them a million dollars. Not only it's not a mitzvah, it's a, first of all, it's a huge sin to give such people any donation, this conservative and reform, all these fakers. And some of the rotten modern are just as bad. Some, not all. You have to know. pen. Every place you have to check very carefully who you're dealing with. And not only it's not a mitzvah, it's a sin to begin with to support them. And now, when he made an extra section and more people come with the car now because there's no room to sit, all these sins go to his account. Who told you to support these clowns? So this is how the Satan does. When you already finally want to give a big donation, he will find you Kabbalah Center, Berg, all these fakers, gamblers, drug addicts. Don't worry about him, he's a genius. He, that's the way he does. First he will try to make you not do any mitzvah. But now if he knows you already, that's it, I have to do it. He will find you the worst cause to support. Why? Because you're not going to make mitzvot while I'm here. I'm not going to do it. So he tricked you in such a way. Or many other different examples. How, for instance, a person wants to go and learn Torah every night. He learns between 8 and 10. And he says, uh, and he says uh, okay, tonight I'm not going to go to the shiur. Why? My son has a birthday party to his daughter. My... Uh, My brother has a birthday party to his daughter. Birthday party. How old is she? Five. So they have a cake with some candles, happy birthday, Christine, whatever. So now, Rabbi, where were you in the shiur yesterday? Rabbi, come on, shlom bayit, family. Oh, family is very important. What happened in the family? You're making me nervous. My brother made a birthday party, you know, when we made a birthday party to Jennifer, they came, now we had to go, you understand? So now, to go to a birthday party of his brother daughter, which most likely is not even Jewish, that's the story of the American Jews here, that the the wife probably either is a goya or a fake convert, one of those things. So he's gonna live two hours of learning Torah, thinking he's doing such a mitzvah, He's respecting his father, he goes to the party, I'm going out of my way to make my brother happy, thinking what a nice guy I am, look at me, I'm thinking about the the public. And in the the end, he made one scene and lost 120,000 mitzvot of learning Torah, that's two hours of Torah. Same thing, bar mitzvah, even when the bar mitzvah is kosher, and same thing, the wedding, even the wedding of a friend. What exactly do you have with this friend? We used to work together in J.P. Morgan. How long ago? Three years ago. And since then, we see each other once a year. Send him a wedding invitation. He's going to waste now 120,000 mitzvot to go to a wedding of a friend. Why? Because it's going to be in a Hilton hotel or in a country club. It's going to be great sushi or steak. This is religious people. I'm not talking people that make sense every day. This is how he fools us. He fools us in such a way that we think, I just did a great mitzvah. Great mitzvah. I'll give you another example. You learning Torah full time and you volunteer to atzala. Oh, Rabbi, are you crazy? Atzala is a very good thing. It saves lives. 100% saves life. If you volunteer to Atzala 20 years, how many lives you will save? Thanks to you, how many people will be saved? Two, three, five, ten? In 20 years? Not every call is life-saving, right? So maybe, Baruch Hashem, thanks to you, few lives will be saved. But in what expense? Every time you get a call, someone broke his hand. You have to leave the Gemara, you leave, you two three hours, you come back, you just lost 180,000 mitzvot. To do one mitzvah, important mitzvah, you help a Jew, took him to the hospital with the ambulance. All right, you help him what to do, what not to do. But in the meantime, you had to close the Gemara. One hour here, two hours there, three hours there. After 20 years that you volunteer, you already lost 50 million mitzvot. One day you die, you think I'm the most righteous guy in the world. I took off my time, I drove to help people, I drove women to give birth. I went, I, I, I was the best angel. And Hashem will say, yes, I'm going to give you a fantastic reward for being an atzala volunteer. But this is what you're going to lose at the same time. When you see how much you made, and how much you lost, you kill yourself. <laughs> I had a guy in my yeshiva, he always liked to volunteer to go bring the lunch to the Shiva the learning, first said it was finishing at 1 p.m. And then there's lunch. And they had to go for every day a different family cook for the yeshiva. So they have a big container with all the, you know, the trays of the food. Goes into the container, plastic container, it keeps it warm. So someone has to go around 12.40 to drive to a house in Monsi and collect all the food that by 1 p.m. the food will be already in the kitchen in yeshiva. So about half an hour to lose Torah every time you go to collect the food. And I realized every time they're missing a guy, that, they used to have a list. Every day someone else. But once in a while a guy is not here, he went away, he's not feeling well. So they need someone to volunteer to replace him. This guy always the first one to volunteer. So I asked him, why you always run to bring the food? You just brought the food two days ago. Why again today? Next time should be in two, three weeks, no? He said, well, there's no one else. This guy's sick, he didn't go, and I, I offered to go. I said, why did you offer to go? So someone has to take care of the guys here that they eat lunch, no? I said, 100%. Why Why? why are you the first one to jump to save me? He said, it's mitzvah. I want to get the mitzvah. I said, you fool. You get one mitzvah. You lose half an hour of learning Torah. That's 30,000 mitzvot. What? Yes, of course. If nobody, there's nobody and the Rosh Yeshiva come and said to you, Itzi, you go and bring it. Okay, now you are anus. Now when Hashem knows you wanted to learn and the Rosh Yeshiva told you go and do it, now you're going to get a full reward like you learned. Why? Because your will was to learn Torah, not to waste time on going to get food and to drive the car of the Yeshiva and look around on the beautiful trees. You wanted really to learn, right? If you were selling jewelry in 47th Street, when you have a boot and customers are piling on your boots, wow, give me two of these, give me three of that, and now your wife says, Itzik, I need you to go to the supermarket on Fifth Avenue and do some shopping for me for the next half an hour. you normal. Know Find someone else. Why? Half an hour, I'm going to close the store. Can lose $3,000 here. Why does one want to go? Because he's going to lose $3,000. And how much he's gonna save? $20 difference on the price? He's not a fool. When it comes to money, he's very smart. When it comes to Torah, he's gonna do one mitzvah and lose tens of thousands. And this is the story of our life. Same thing, the neighbor comes to you, my husband is not home. I need to go to the hospital, I'm giving birth. Can you drive me to the hospital? He has to go to be in the yeshiva at nine o'clock. Now if he's going to drive her to the hospital, he's going to have to help her bring her stuff, go in until they will take her in. He's not going to be able to just throw her over there with a watermelon in her stomach, and say, okay, I'm in a rush. It's already going to take two, three hours. By the time you get to the yeshiva, it will be 12. So how many mitzvot is going to lose? Again, 180,000. How many mitzvot is going to get? One mitzvah of chesed, helping a pregnant woman. Why your husband didn't take care of her? You know his wife is due. Stay with her. Why are you throwing her on other people? And you know what? If you saw there's nobody else to do it, say to her, I have an emergency, but I want to have a part of your mitzvah. Here is $100 for a cab. Please ask him to take you and take care of everything. I will order for you Uber. I'll pay for it. Don't worry about it. He's going to take you. Everything will be fine. Call your husband to meet you in the hospital. Why? Like this, I got the mitzvah of getting her to the hospital and at the same time I didn't lose three hours of Torah. And I can give you thousands of examples like this, this is how the Yetzir Araf fools us. He doesn't say to us, go kill her, how does she have the nerve to ask you to take her to the hospital? No. He will say, it's a very big mitzvah, there's nobody to take her, she has to give birth any moment. Pikuach nefesh. Why? That's the only way he can get you out of the yeshiva. There's no other way because he knows you like to learn. And there are many, many examples like this. Many. So the Satan, the Zohar say, it's Lavana Arani. He said to you, I'm going to give you Rachel. Yeah. What do you find in the morning? It wasn't Rachel, it was Leah. You thought you were doing a big mitzvah. You thought you were helping a, an Orthodox yeshiva synagogue. You found out in the morning. It's Bet El Reform Gay Club. That's what it is. That's where your money went to. So what are you going to say? Wow, I didn't have in mind to help such a place. I wanted to help a kosher place. But the Satan is a genius. He fooled you. Sometimes the, the, the girl you date, she is the one who pushing you into this conservative area. All these things is all the plan of the Satan. And he knows what your weaknesses are. For instance, many of us we won't give up the mitzvah of learning Torah so easy. But if one of us has a very big weakness for food, and they will tell you there's a great meal now, this rich one makes a big meal now. In his house, steak, sushi, this that's enough for a person that lives for food to now forget about the Shiva and run over there. But the way he's going to do it, I, have, I had to go. They needed a minyan. They didn't have minyan. Who cares about their minyan right now? You have a chiyuv l'ilmod with your alright every second. You worry about their minyan? Do you understand, Rabotai? This is what the Yitzhar is all about. Not always come and tell you, go kill, go steal, speak Lashon no. He will tell you, oh, it's Mitzvah to speak Lashon about her. Ah, you saw how she dressed on the street? What's the connection? She is making a very big scene, the way she dressed, yes. But why do you have to speak now with your friend Lashon HaRa and destroy their life? Leave her for Hashem. Hashem takes care of everyone in the end. But how the satan is going to convince you to speak Lashonara? You know Lashonara is a disaster. You saw how she dressed? You saw what a wicked woman she is? Mitzvah to talk Lashonara about her. That's how it always always like this in the end. And most of the time, we are falling into that trap. So this, to explain what the Zohar say, the anachash, anachash, the snake in Parashat Bereshit is a symbol of the Yetzir The anachash haya arum, the snake was sneaky. That's why until today we use this word, sneaky. Arum, clever, to do bad, to give the wrong advice, A deceiver, a crook. So a person has to be the same with his evil inclination. Like it says in patal. When you see the evil inclination is a stubborn crook, make sure you do the same trick to him. For instance, your wife asks you, Moshe, where are you going? I have some errands. Don't say, I go to learn Torah. If you say, you learn Torah, now the Satan knows. The Satan doesn't read the mind of people. So if you don't declare it with your mouth, he doesn't know what's on your mind. So if you say, Moshe, where are you going? I'm meeting friends. Okay, goodbye. Six o'clock he leaves, he comes back eight to eat dinner. Where are you going? I'm going to do some errands. If he say, I'm going to learn Torah, I have a on the way, guess what happened? This one, the police closed the road, this. the Satan organized for him all kinds of delays. All kinds of delays. Why? Because he knows your plan. He knows where you're going. So the idea is, Make sure that you trick your evil inclination just like he tricks you every second. So... This is what it says in the Gemara in Brachot, page 61, that the evil inclination is sitting between the two keys of the heart, in between, I guess, the valves. Okay, meaning that that's where the sin begins in the heart of the human being. When the Satan sees that he cannot convince a person to make a sin, right? He sent him to a mitzvah that will be less than the mitzvah that he was planning to do. If I cannot make you make sins, at least I will lower the level of your mitzvot. That it will be to something not important or to something that is not a mitzvah. Okay, maybe it's not a sin, but at least it's not the great thing you wanted to do. Okay, so the Gemara says, in Masachat Kiddushin, page 30, that every day the Yetzirah is renewed with a new plan how to destroy you today. He makes like a new wall. I have a plan. How do I destroy my man today or my woman? What do I do today to destroy their day and tomorrow again and the next day again? So, so, someone that wants to know. Now now you, I know what you're thinking. How do I know if what I do comes from the Yetzirah Tov or from the Yetzirah? How do I know? How do I know if what I'm about to do really comes from my good inclination? Maybe it comes from the bad inclination. So I'll tell you now the secret. Listen to this carefully. Someone that wants to check when he's about to do mitzvah, if it comes from a good advice of his his good inclination or it's actually the advice of the evil inclination to go to this mitzvah. Like I said, the evil inclination sometimes sends you to do mitzvot. When he realizes he cannot make you make sins, he sends you to do certain mitzvot that will turn into sins. Let me explain. So, how do you know if you are full of passion, your entire body is enthusiastic to do the mitzvah? Is that a sign that the mitzvah comes from the evil inclination or is that a sign that it comes from the good inclination? You're on fire to do the mitzvah, on fire. How do you know if it comes from a good source or from a bad source? The answer is like this. If you see that there is no resistance, no obstacle, no resistance, no obstacle and no laziness. you on fire to get up, get, take off your pyjama, get dressed quickly, run. In minutes, you're already there, like fire. Then you know it came from the Yetzirah. If it comes from the Yetzirah Tov, you don't jump like a tiger like this. Because right the way the Yetzirah tried to do everything he can to destroy it. So if you run with no hesitation and you're full of passion to do it, it's probably coming from the Yetzer ara. But if you see that you're heavy, Wow, I have to wake up for Shachrit. Uh, wow, no. Deep. Right? Then you know that you are in front of doing a very important mitzvah because it's going hard. Everything that goes hard, it's a sign that the Satan is trying to prevent you. Same thing when you give Zakah. If you give Zakah with no obstacle, no resistance, check very carefully where it comes from. If you feel a pinch in your heart when you write the check or when you give the money, someone called you, we need money for this, we need money for this, Shiva, it's hard for you now, but you cannot say no. You write the $1,000 check and you're almost crying. Okay, Rabbi, you can pick up the check. Very good. You know it comes from the Yetzirah If you're on fire, of course. Why a thousand? Come and give me three thousand. The Yetzirah is fooling you. Why would the Yetzirah make you give three thousand? Why, with no resistance? Why? Because for two weeks you're gonna go everywhere and tell. See, the Rabbi called me for a thousand. I told him, why a thousand? What is this? You have to ask for more, Rabbi. Three, come quickly, the check is ready. Before he finishes his sentence, I already wrote the check. Two weeks you're bragging about it. Not only you don't have a reward in the end, you have hundreds of sins of pride and ego and making bad reputation to people. He didn't give. You see, I gave, my friend is much more wealthier than me. He didn't give him a penny. So this entire way, it was a trap of the Yetzirah. A woman, Miriam, hi, yes, my dear husband. Uh, Ruven and Hannah having Sheva Brachot next Monday. They're looking for a place. You want to host them? Right away the like a tiger. Of course, tell them to come here. I will make them the best Sheva Brachot. No resistance, no wow motion, no I can't, I'm tired. Again Monday it's right after Shabbos and we have guests for Shabbos. None of these things, Ride right away like a tiger. Of course, why? She wants to show the new chandelier, the new rugs, the new decoration, the extension. Her husband just bought her a nice diamond. It comes from her subconscious. How great is the food? That she's going to cook 50 different Moroccan salads, 10 uh, Bukharian dishes, another five Syrians uh, appetizers. So uh, she lives for it. So now she's on fire for three days in the kitchen, peeling, cutting, frying. Where she gets all this power from? All from Satan. For Monday night, that she begin her show. Tell me the recipe of this. Tell me the recipe of that. That's the best cake I ever had. And she walks like this with her high heels and her $5,000 a week. She makes sure all the diamonds that she has, it's all over, and from the neighbor also, and a necklace and borrow this. And she goes to Costco, bought some diamonds, and then she returns it a month later. You understand? It's all from the beginning a scene. No mitzvah This is it, Rabotai. When you do mitzvah, it has to be hard. When you give tzedakah and chazan say it has to burn the heart. If you give it and it does not burn your heart, if you have a hundred million dollars and you write a hundred thousand dollar check, most likely it won't burn your heart. Why well, probably make it in a day? Nah, not the end of the world. <laughs> not the end of the world. But if you only have ten million and you have to write a hundred thousand, it's already significant. Big amount, Rabbi, come on. It burns the heart. It burns the heart. Very good. The reward is a 100 times greater. Everything has to be difficult. Moshe, you coming to help us give food for Tom Chishavitz Thursday night? Wow, look at the snow, look at these winds. I don't feel so good. Very good. Now you know when you go, you went because it's from the Yetzir if you get up like a tiger, of course, why? Well, you want to impress your new date. She was there when you got the call. You want to show her, you're such a tzaddik, you go to Tom Chesh Many of the things we do, it's only for the show-off. Like in a synagogue on Shabbat. HaEchal. Five thousand. Why? If Tshver is there. You know? he wants to show, don't worry, I'll take care of good, of your daughter, whatever. Do you understand, Rabotai? Sometimes the line between positive and pure mitzvah to a fake mitzvah, which is actually a sin, is very, very thin. Sometimes very difficult to know. Very difficult to know. i give you an example. Uh, Shimon Glick is a wealthy person in Muncie. He has a private jet. He took to to Toronto and on the way back to New York, he asked the pilot, please go down, right above the Niagara Falls. I want Rav Steinemann to see this wonder of Hashem, the Niagara Falls. Come on, it's an opportunity. Where Rav Steinemann ever will see the Niagara Falls? All his life is in the Gemara, in Bnebrak. Now he has an opportunity with a private jet, better than anything, going right above the water from the window, go around. So Rav Steinemann was sitting on the other side of the Niagara Falls, of the plane. So he said to him, rabbi, in in one minute, we're going to be very close to the Niagara Falls. It's unbelievable. You cannot believe the water. It's one of the most magnificent places in the whole world. How Hashem did such a thing, it's unbelievable. He gives him a whole speech about Niagara Falls, knowing he never saw it. He said, rabbi, now, come. So he got up, he walked two steps, and he stopped. He was thinking for a few seconds. He turned around and went and sat back on the chair. On the seat, he said, "Rabbi, what happened? Come, no, we don't have unlimited time." He said, "No, it's okay. Tell him to keep going to New York." So he said to him, well, "Rabbi, you don't want to look at this? I have such an opportunity!" So he said to him, "Of course I want, but when I was on my way to the window, I stopped to think. I usually think before I do things. Where is it coming from? What is the source of what I'm about to do?" Does it come from my good inclination? Or it comes from my evil inclination? How can it be from the evil inclination? The answer is curiosity. Curiosity is not pure. If If I got up because I want to praise Hashem for his wonderful creation, so when you told me, wow, come and see how Hashem made such a thing, I said, wow, an opportunity to bless Hashem, to praise Hashem. But that's not why I got up. When I got up, out of you know my passion to see, hundred percent curiosity for my personal pleasure, not for shame. If curiosity is the source, it's yetzarara. Better not to do it. He went back and he sat down. You can get to such a level that everything you do in your life you analyze before and after. Unbelievable when his uh, helper was fixing the suitcase before they left Israel. He takes the slippers, put them in, put the pyjama here, put the book here. Then he takes it out, change it like this, take it 10 times like this. No, let's try this, let's do this, this we'll put in a bag. And he's looking at him the entire time and thinking. So what are you thinking about Rabbi? You don't like it like this? He said, no, I don't care. This is your job, how are you gonna fix it? But I'm thinking, we're going on a trip of two, three days to overseas. And look how much you worry and preparing that when we get there, we will be ready in a proper way. And soon we're going to go on a journey that is eternal. How, what we going to bring with us in our suitcase and how exactly it's going to be organized. Is it going to be organized and sufficient? Oh, it's going to be a mess, meaning a little mitzvah here, a little bit learning there, a little bit, oh, it's going to be really with, with order. That's what it's all about, the night of Lela Seder. That's why we call it Lela Seder, the night of the order. It makes order in your entire life. So let's move on. So the Zohar is, like I said, Lavana Naar is the the way he tricked Yaakov, Yaakov trick him back. That's the story between us and the evil inclination. The evil inclination will do all the tricks Lavan did to Yaakov to us. And we have to respond to the Yetzrara like Yaakov responded to Lavan. You coming to trick me? I will trick you before you even dream. Oh, I caught you not ready. Like the Torah says, someone is on the way to kill you, make sure you be the one that surprises him and kill him first. Don't be a foolish guy that follows the New Testament. If he comes to kill me, I'll let him punch me on one side, and then I'll give him the other side and give me another punch. That's not what the Torah says. That's the baloney. The Torah says someone is on the way to attack you. First, of course, you have to defend yourself. And if there is a way, to, or only way to prevent it is by killing him first, that's the, that's the obligation. Why would you let him kill you? He is the murderer, not you. So when a murderer, a terrorist, comes to kill you, you don't shoot in the air. When you see he has a gun and he's about to shoot people, you don't care what the Israeli army told you as a soldier. You care what Hashem said. Right away to kill him immediately. Not to shoot in the air, That by the time you shoot a few times, already five children are dead. You understand? And they put you in jail, they put you in jail. What can we do? We live in a liberal, lefty government that is afraid what the Europeans are going to say. So they take Israeli soldiers and put them in prison for, for killing murderers. Thank you very much. Put him in jail and take him out two months before the time arrives. Fantastic. You know what it's like? Like my taxes on my house. They kill you and then they give you a star program. They give you $100 off they kill you on the taxes. <laughs> <laughs> the price that we pay taxes over there in Muncie, you can buy two houses in Philadelphia every year. You understand what's going on here? And then they give you a few hundred dollars. Make sure you file your star program. That's what you sound like. They put him in jail for killing a murderer and now, Baruch Hashem, will take him out two months before. Why? He behaved nice. He did not make problems in jail. He wasn't supposed to be in jail to begin with. Supposed to get a, an award for being a brave soldiers and fighting those who come to kill innocent people on the street. You understand? But, you know, who cares about what the Torah says? They care what, what the liberals and the lefties of Europe will, will dictate. That's what they care about. So, now Yaakov went to Mitzrayimah because he was forced. There was nothing to eat. He had to go to Mitzrayim. He did not choose it. It was forced on him. Melamed Anus alpi adibu. Anus mean you force. There's no other way. How do we know he did not go to settle in Egypt? You know in America, you have two statuses: one you have a per- temporary resident, and one you have permanent resident temporary is like visa that they give you three months, six months, you can live here for six months and then you have to leave the country permanent permanent residence is what they call green card, which is not so permanent today because after a while you have to get a citizenship, but they call it permanent resident so Everybody knows, until you become an American citizen, they can kick you out of here any minute they want. They don't like something you did, you made uh, some kind of misdemeanor or something, They immigration camp pull you over, get, put you on a plane and kick you out of here. That's it, wow. But, but you gave me a temporary residence. Yes, it's conditional to how you behave. We found out you sell drugs, we don't want you here. Goodbye, that's it, that's how it goes. So when you go to another country because you want to be there two months, three months, you're going to be a student there, you want to sell some diamonds there and come back, you don't care so much about your conditions over there because it's only a month and I'm coming back home. But when you go there and you buy yourself a beautiful home, and you buy trees, and you plant the trees, and you order special chandeliers from Italy, and you work like crazy, You're not going to do it if you stay there only six months, right? It's not realistic. Rent yourself a room and finish. How do we know Yaakov went to Egypt with the plan, let me get out of here, ASAP? Because it's written in the Torah, lagur, v'yagor sham. What's the meaning of the word lagur? Gar. It comes from the word ger. Ger Toshav, not Ger Convert. Convert is for good. Once you convert it, that's it, you're Jew. We're talking Ger toshav, a resident. A resident meaning we're giving you permission to live here. But we're watching you very carefully. We're not obligated to you. We like you, we'll let you stay here. Not, I throw you out. That's called Lagur. If he went to live there, there wouldn't be lagoo, Because he went there only temporarily with his mind is, when will I go back to the Holy Land? Right? That's what helped us later on to come out of there. But if he went there with the intention to settle there, we will never come out of Mitzrayim. Why? I came to live here. Now, uh, President Trump agreed that Israelis will not need any more visa to come to America, like Europeans. They get on a plane and come here. They don't need visa. The difference would be that instead of permission to stay six months, they're only going to get three months. That's how they fix the law. Is it a good law or a bad law? Many Israelis now, in order to come here, they have to go to Tel Aviv, stand there for hours, and convince the consul of the United States why it's not a risk to let me come here on a trip. Why would you like to go to America? I have this, I have that, I have a wedding, I wanna see you in New York. He has to convince them that he's not going to stay here to live. They're not interested in new residents, they just want tourists, that they can take your money and throw you out. They don't want you to take their money by leaving here. So they're very careful. So first thing they check if you have a job, show us six month statement, show us your bank account, show us your pay stub, get a letter from your boss, show us that you own an apartment, show us that you own, convince me that you are leaving something precious in Israel, that you 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 will be forced to go back to Israel. If you're 21 years old, you're broke, you don't have anything, your father bought you a ticket, You live by your parents, you don't have a job, you don't have any chance to get a visa. Why? They know you come here, you're going to go work for the Dead Sea product in the malls. That's it. You will never come back to Israel for the next few years. Now they're going to cancel this need for visa, meaning every broke Israeli guy gets to buy a ticket and come here. Welcome to America, Mr. Itzik. Good or bad? Bad is not a word. You don't know what the disaster is going to be. That's the know. end of us, Rabotai. Nobody pay attention to this law. I'm telling you, that's the end of us. Let's see who's clever here and understand why it's the end of us. Stay longer than should. In one year, you're going to have half a million Israeli moving here. Not only that, the Arabs, they have 8 point something children per family. Israel, as it is, has two kids with five, six dogs and cats. But average two kids, and the Arabs more than eight, meaning they multiply four times faster. By the year 2020, they predict there will be the same amount of Arabs, not 2020, 2040, they will have the same amount of Arabs like they have Israelis in Israel. Today they published in a lefty newspaper an article. Finally, it's not a bad suggestion that will be soon an Arab prime minister in Israel. They're already preparing the public that soon, another generation, the prime minister of Israel by democracy will be an Arab politician, a terrorist. There are 14 terrorists sitting in the Knesset right now. Imagine one of them is becoming the prime minister, in one year we're done. Everything we will build in seven years since Israel became a state will destroy everything. You know, all the secrets, all the nuclear, all the codes, all the spies, all the Mossad agents, With the end of us. That's it, Israel is gonna be destroyed. But now add on top of it that there's no jobs. It's very difficult to find a good job to make a living and the cost of an apartment in Israel it's 40 years of work. If you leave the army age 21, by age 61 maybe you will have enough to buy a lousy apartment. The cheapest apartment in Israel is half a million dollars now. Two million shekel and up. So therefore, for someone who make a thousand dollars a month salary, 4000 shekel, 4200, 4500 shekel, it's not even enough to eat and to to, to move on a transportation. It's very, very little salary. So you're going to have to work two jobs, and your wife will have to work also two jobs just to pay your expenses. So it's going to be almost impossible for you ever to own an apartment. There's no future, no nothing. Most of the Israelis now would live by their parents until age 40. That's the average now, based on the new real estate prices. They're going to stay until age 40, whether they get married or not, with their wives, living in a living room. There's nowhere to live. They cannot pay $1,200 a month rent. This is their salary. So it's a disaster. What's happening over there? So what's gonna happen? Everybody runs here. Why? Because they say in Israel that if you sell Dead Sea products in a mall or all kinds of things, you make $2,000 a week. Meaning, and it's sometimes true, you're gonna make $8,000 a month, cash. Cash, money. And you leave six guys in a small apartment, you pay 300 $400 rent other expenses, let's say a thousand, you put seven thousand on the side. In Israel you cannot put seven thousand on the side in five years. Not in a month, in five years. <laughs> so everyone will come here. All the new generation. Those people are supposed to go to the army and be the commanders and then become doctors and go to university. They will all leave Israel. And who's gonna stay in Israel? The Arabs that wants to kill us for every inch of Israel. They stay over there. They're gonna bring more Arabs in. So that's the end of us. Until now, many of these Israelis wanted to come here, but they couldn't. One out of 10 could make it. If he has a good job, or is in university in the middle of the semester, so he come for a few days to a wedding and come back, they see you, in a, so they let you. But now everyone will be able to come. That's the end of us. I'm, I'm surprised the Israeli government don't see it. They should have told Donald Trump, do us a favor, don't be so generous to us. We're not Europeans. <laughs> We don't have the conditions of the Europeans that they want to go back to Germany. Over here, everyone will run away. It will be the, everything that we build here will all fall in the hands of these murderers. But that's it. Some people, it takes them time to see the process. By the time they will wake up, it may be already too late. Hope I, I hope, I really hope that I'm wrong. But already now, they say there's more than a million Israelis in America. I'm not talking the American Jews. Over here, everywhere you go, here, Hebrew, everywhere you go. Here, there, you meet, everywhere you go. Los Angeles, Miami, you make a lecture in Los Angeles, two, three hundred Israelis coming just like that on a message on Facebook. Baruch Hashem, everywhere, everywhere you go. Of course, you know, whatever Hashem wants in the end, that's what's going to happen. But that's not a good development. Time is running out. So there's a difference between lagur or Legoi He became a nation there. Yaakov became a nation. He came 70 people. 210 years they there. When they came out of Mitzrayim, they were already 3.5 million. How many generations is 210 years? Eight, nine generations. They multiply in such a fast speed from seven or eight generations. It's unbelievable. So, Goy in the Torah, what's the meaning of the word Goy? Who knows? Nation. nation. Some people think Goy is a bad word. No. Goy is not a bad word. When you say about a non-Jew is a Goy, it means it belongs to a different nation. It's nothing bad. Even Israel, the nation of Israel, called in the Torah Goy. Hashem calls us Goy. There's only one difference. To the Goyim Hashem called Goy, and to the Jews he called Goy Kadosh, Holy Nation. But Goy means a nation, nothing, nothing else, just a nation. Goy Iuma. a Goy is a nation. And there are four things to distinguish between one nation to another. There are four criteria to check a nation. You know what four ways, there's four ways to check a nation? Who knows? Language, dress, speech. No. And uh, one more for uh, Let's see. Culture. Oh, our oh, Hashem. Michael Savage. He said that? Yes. I wonder who that. talks about this country. Rabbi Savage, you mean. Yes. Okay, so, it says like this Bego, it says, Bego yehem. What does it mean, Bego yehem? Manners. Their cultures, their manners. Some places, they don't put their elbow on the table. Some places, every little thing, Duncan Shen, Pardon Pardon. All these things. See right away what country they're from. Right? So. <laughs> what does it mean? I give you an example of what it means. One is the language, the language Bnei Israel, did not change their language. They spoke the Hebrew language. Second, the way they dressed, they did not change the way they dressed. We hear among the Goim, but we speak the Hasidim. Speaks Yiddish, dressed like Hasidim, no matter where they're going to live. Every country in the world you see Hasidim. Hong Kong, Yiddish, Australia, Yiddish, England, Yiddish. In New York, Yiddish, Israel, Yiddish. When Hasidim from all over the world gathered together in a wedding, some of them born in London, some of them born in New York, some of them born in Yerushalayim. When they pray, you don't know who is from whom. Everything the same. Yiddish, same Levu, same everything. Why? They're very, very strict with how they present themselves. I'm a Jew, and this is the way I call Jewish, like this, with the peot, with the beard and the hat or the fair hat or whatever the case is, and I never move out of it, no matter where I'm gonna be. Some Hasidim went to Arizona, 110 degrees. Everybody understands a fair hat in 110 degrees is not exactly a good match, right? But what's the alternative? That I'm gonna put a baseball hat, and what's gonna happen two generations later? My grandson will marry the goyote in Arizona. That's how it starts. You begin to change your culture, you begin to change your clothing, you change your manners. Next thing you go to university, and another generation or two, all your children become going. You don't believe me? Check what happened to the American Jews. Check what happened to the Spanish Jews. Check what happened to the British Jews. Go to Las Vegas, someone told me 60,000 Jews in Las Vegas. One of them you won't even see one Jewish thing about him. Nothing. Nobody can tell that one little thing. As a matter of fact, someone sent me a video of some old Jews. Old! From the previous generation. When they celebrating Pesach in Burger King. <laughs> oh. They make Lelaseder in Bergenkir with burgers. Jews gathering together, eating burgers, chametz in Pesach. They don't understand what does it mean? Lelaseder, chametz, Matzah. And those are all Jews, meaning they should have had some religion in them from the past. Today, nothing today. You understand what's going on here? So the Jews did not change their language, their image. This is what Haman said to Achashverosh. There's a strange nation here. They dress different. They speak different. Their religion is different. Everything about them is different than us. Give me permission to kill them. So you see from the Megillah, 2400 years, all the Jews in the Middle East, including Iran and, all the, you know, and India, and all these places, 127 countries, all of them had an image of Jews. You didn't see Jews that dress like Goim, full of tattoos, ponytail and a piercing and his eyebrow. You didn't have such nonsense. Everyone was proud to dress like a Jew, even though it was a life race. Sometimes you paid with your life with this. It's dangerous. They don't like us. So that's called begoyehem, meaning this is what's unique about me. No matter where, what country I'm gonna live, Judaism is my constitution. That in my shulchan aruch, that's my law. I will do everything I can not to break the laws of the country, of course. But if the land of the country would say it's mitzvah to make an abortion. I'm not gonna teach my children that. I'm gonna tell them it's a, it's a murder to make an abortion. It's not a mitzvah, it's a murder. And, oh, but the state in the United States, they allow it. They say, do it, do it. You own your own body. Nobody should tell you what to do. So I'm gonna have to tell, tell my children it's a lie. That's not what God said. This is evil, wicked people. They changed the laws of God to do such horrible things. And when all other things that are happening in this country are against the Torah, I'm still obligated to the Torah of Hashem, not to Obama and his new laws. Do you understand the idea here? So that's called Begoyehem. sham legoi, meaning it doesn't matter, we became a very big nation, but everybody knows we are the Hebrews here in Egypt. We are not assimilated with the Mitzrim that you don't know anymore if we're Jewish or not. Do you understand? How many Jews here in America? They have names that are one hundred percent Texas going name. Staxone, Stackson, Maxson. combination me What is this? Why it used to be Steinberg? They changed it to this name. Cohen. They ch- they changed it to different. Corn. Corn. All of a sudden, Cohen became corn. Why? Maybe a corn artist. You know why is it? I don't want anyone to know I'm Jewish, if I can, some wealthy family refused to put mezuzot, one of the richest family in the world. Don't want any mezuzot in the house. No, 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 please, please. Well, well, you can afford mezuzot, it's no big deal. No, no, it's not about the money. Don't want mezuzot. Why? I don't want the neighbors to know we're Jewish. Afraid. you are you afraid? You're multi-billionaire. You can buy the whole area here. What are you so afraid of? We don't want anybody to know a Jewish. Right here in New York, families like this, American. Change their name, change anything about them. They hide the fact that they're Jewish. They don't celebrate Jewish holidays and if they do quietly, they don't want people in the company to know. And this is how it is, this, this is what's going on. That's now what Yaakov did. Yaakov made sure that everyone over there include the children of Yosef that born already in Egypt. Over here, we follow the rules of Abraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov. Top, we move on. Metsuyanim Sham. It's written Metsuyanim. Metsuyan means great. Extremely great. The Midrash says, besides the fact they didn't change the clothing, right? The Gaon Mivilna say that uh, the Malchut made a decree on the clothing in this time, 250 years ago. The Goim in Europe. They said to the Jews, you cannot dress like this anymore. You have to dress like us. Ties, jackets, whatever we dress. We don't, we don't want this, what you're wearing. And they asked the Gaon now what to do. They're going to kill us. If we dress like Jews, they already told us, to will put you in jail. Imagine they're coming to the Arabs now. We don't allow you to walk with this thing on your head and the burqas that you're wearing and, all the, and the men wearing this dress. You're not allowed to dress like this in our country. What's going to happen? Demonstration, riots, burning cars, blowing up places. Who would even dare to do such things? So when they did it to the Jews in the time of the Gaon Mivilna, they asked him what to do. P'sak. He made a halacha, P'sak halacha. What was his p'sak halacha? Who knows? The Gaon Mivilna, the biggest Ashkenazi Rabbi in the world at that time. They ask him what to do. What would you answer if you're the chief rabbi? They tell you, Rabbi, we have to dress like the goyim. Otherwise, they'll put us in jail. Or who knows what else they're going to do to us. The answer, Zog zerat shmad. This is a decree to kill all Jews. That's how you have to look at it. You're not allowed to change your Jewish clothes even if they kill you. You say, Shema let them kill you. They kill 5, 10, 20, and they leave you alone, and they forget about this law. Better 5, 10, 20 or 30 will die now, and we're all going to stay Jews, that, or, or if we're going to surrender to them in two, three generations, none of us will stay a Jew. We all will assimilate with them, they'll take us, we marry them, it will be the end of us. We'll all be going. Better to die for it now and go to heaven, then to become like them in two, three generations, all our children will be in public school, going to with Christian girls and marry them, and there will be the end of us. You already saw where it's going. He told them, velo <laughs> Veloyavo. And later, when they published this book, they took it out of the book that the Christians won't see, that there was this Psakalacha. So if they come to you, you die and you don't agree but they didn't want to write it down. Like some parts of the Talmud was deleted that the Christians won't see it. They spoke against JC. So they took it out of the Gemara, why? First, it would make them burn it. They go crazy when they see their God. They make mockery out of him. And the second thing is they can hurt people. Imagine you do something to the Quran. Muslims will go crazy against you. If you take a Quran now in Manhattan, where you see, uh, I don't know, in Atlantic Avenue in Brooklyn. Hey, Mustafa, Ahmed, see, see, you see this? Shh, put it on fire. What's going to happen? Immediately they'll kill you. Doesn't matter who's going to be there. Men, women, children. Right away they begin to throw things at you. If they have guns, immediately they'll kill you. Why? Because you hurt their feeling. This is holy for them. They believe it's from God. So that's like a war against God. Oh, you're fighting against God? We have to kill you. This is in their mind. Go and convince them now that it's not from God. Just, you know, okay. No, that's another issue. But in their mind, it's worth to die for that. I heard someone say a very nice sentence. Let's see if you know who said it. You probably would know. But don't say the answer right away. He said, if there's nothing worth dying for, there's also nothing worth living for. Did you hear what it is? Very clever sentence. If you don't have in your life something with value, that it's worth dying for it, you're willing to die for that cause, then your life basically has no value. It's it's not worth living for anything. If you don't have something to die for, you don't have something to live for. Who say that? Which American leader say that? I'll give you a hint. Huh? True. There's one national holiday after him. Lincoln. Well, Martin Luther King. Uh, Martin Luther King. I just heard about it a month ago. I saw a quote, Martin Luther King. If it ain't worth live, dying for, it ain't worth <laughs> living for it. Meaning, if you're now willing to die for Hashem and for the truth and for the Kiddush Hashem, Basically, your life worth nothing. It comes pretty nice in Judaism. I don't know what was on his mind when he was talking about it, but you can put it definitely in Pirkei Avot. <laughs> you understand? But this is it. So the the next thing it says, otanu Right before that, it says, "Vat erom we also say it in the Brit Mila. This pasuk. Why do we say bedamae chai, chai twice? Which bloods are we talking about here? One, the, the circumcision. Second, korbanapesach. We took from the blood and put it on a mezuzot. So there are two kinds of bloods here. One circumcision and one the blood of the korban pesach. So what does it mean? Veat ar- erom the ve Ask all the Israelis in Israel if you find one that knows the answer. I'll be very surprised. Erom everybody knows. Erom means naked. What's area? Erom the area. What is it? We say it for so many years in Agadah. Nobody even asked what it is. Rabbi, can you tell me what is the meaning of this word? What does it mean? The answer, the Gaon Mivilna explained, the mitzvot of the human being creates an outfit for his soul in the next world. When your soul goes up to the court of heaven, you already have special kilt that you're wearing and the image of this dress It was made from all the mitzvot you did. Meaning you have 613 laws. Each one of them connects to 248 positive commandments. That Each one of them connects to 248 positive commandments. 248 organs. 248 commandments. 365 restrictions in the Torah. 365 ligaments in the body of the human being. Each ligament connects to restriction. Each organ connects to a positive commandment. So when you do all the mitzvot, when you come out, your image is complete. Like a puzzle with 613 parts, and it's a beautiful image. If you only do half of the mitzvot, it's a puzzle that has 300 pieces. 300 and and other pieces and 13 are missing. So you have a little bit missing here, a little bit in the middle, a little bit on the bottom. You don't see such a perfect image. If you do basically no mitzvot, you have five, six mitzvot in your whole life. Mezuzah, Brit Milah, you know, a few mitzvots. Here and there you give a little tzedakah. So you have light in some parts of the image, of the soul. But the rest is all dead. Nothing, no image. So the mitzvot creates... This in the Kabbalah, it's called Chalukah de Rabanan. When we die, Hashem takes the physical body and it goes to the grave. And disposed after 11 months by the worms and the snakes in the ground. So obviously, this body is finished. That's it. So, where the soul is going to be stored now? The store goes up to Shammai. The store needs a new home. Until now, it was in a home called Body. So they have the same exact image like you. The same way you look now in this world. They put you in a new body. But this body is not physical. It's not like here. When you, hold it, when you hit your body, you feel something because it's physical. No. This is a spiritual outfit. It's called in Kabbalah Chalukah de Rabbana. Chaluk means uh, what do you call these long things that we wear when we come? Can- oh. robe. Like de Rabbanan, that's what it means. Tot. So the Gaonians explain the nation of Israel Were in Egypt there was no mitzvot yet. That's before the Torah was given. They're all slaves. They don't have time to keep mitzvot. So they were in a status of The ve'eryah. Erom means no honorable clothes. Nothing. Eriah means Totally naked, the opposite of what people in Israel think. You ask Israeli, what does it mean, erom? Naked. Everyone will tell you naked. What does the Torah say, the Gaon explained. Erom doesn't mean naked. Erom means you're wearing your underwear and your t-shirt. That's erom. Meaning your organs is not revealed your intimate organs is covered, but you're not gonna walk in the street with underwear and t-shirt, right? Whether you're a man, whether you're a woman. It's not respect. That's called erom. Eriah means totally, not even under nothing. Nothing on the body, that's what it means. Varia. the poor person, even though he's wearing something, we still call him erom. Why? What kind of clothes he has? It's disrespect to walk with his clothes on the street. Someone walks without any clothes, we call it area. Now, it's possible that a person has clothes, but he has them in a closet. And now he went to some horrible place in Europe, they have beaches over there, they don't wear clothes. So he goes over there, but he has clothes in his house, he's not poor, he's a rich guy. How will we call him? A homo area. Right now. Someone like that. Walks totally naked. But it's possible he has clothes, but he doesn't wear it. Meaning, erom means even you don't have in your closet. That's what it means. So Hashem gave them two mitzvot. Reach two mitzvot. One in the body. Right? Brit Milah. And the second one. Mitzvat pesach, korban pesach, which to give them honor, like to get them out of Eroom and to get them out of Eriq. We have two or three minutes left. I will say one or two more things and we're done. Vayareu otanu mitzrim. Three things are said here. Vayareu otanu mitzrim. The Egyptian meant only bad for us. They had nothing good in mind for us, that's obvious. Vaya anunu. What does it mean, Vayanunu? Vayaanunu means they tortured us in in physical work that makes the body suffer. Vayitnu alenu avodakasha. They made us work very hard. But why does it have to describe the suffering in three different languages? The Torah is speaking in a very short way. The Torah say, Why? Say one of them and we get the point. Say that they gave us hard work and we get the point. Say, they torture us. We get the point. Say, they did bad things to us. We we'll get the point. Why do you have to describe it in three different ways? The answer, Abotai, one was physical work, like you pick up heavy stuff. Second was mental destruction, men does job of women and the women do job of the men to destroy us mentally. It's, it's a killer for women to do a job of a man, and for men to do a job of a woman it drives them crazy. So it's not only the body is broken, they also changed the nature of a person. You're going to walk here. No, I don't want it. Let me walk here. No, no, you walk here. So you see that it wasn't enough for them to make us suffer. They also wanted to break our spirit. And what does it mean by yare None of what we did was for our own good. Everything was for their own good. I'll give you an example. Sometimes you have a boss. He comes to you and says to you, I know right now you're making $15 an hour because you're working here. How about I need someone in a different department? I wanted to offer you the job before I say to someone else, over there you're gonna make $25 an hour. It's much harder than here, but you're gonna make an extra $100 a day. I wanna give you the first opportunity. So there it's not Meaning, I mean to benefit from moving you to there. But at the same time, in my mind, I also want to benefit you, not only me. That's no problem. But when I do everything for me, and I don't care anything about you, meaning all my intention is to make you suffer, and to make myself enjoy, that's called Vayare wotanu Amitsri. You see the language of the Agada; every word has a depth in it. If you just read it like you know simple Hebrew, you don't understand anything. You have to understand the term. Each term is different than the other. And there's no coincidence why it's sometimes triple, sometimes four languages, sometimes double language. Each one means something else. We have to learn it in the night of the Seder. How are you going to know it? You have to know all these expressions. We scream to Hashem. אל וישמע וישמע Who knows what does it mean What does it mean אל It's written that Hashem heard our screaming and at the same time it says Let me read to you what it means What does it mean? What does it mean, Zoek Tzohek means, Bekol Ram. You raise your voice. What does it mean, call? Kol? kol. Mashmiya call. What does it mean, Mashmiya Kol? Yeah. Technically, the same thing like Tzohek. No, raising your voice. No. Mashmiya call means that the voice comes from the heart. You don't just scream. Sometimes you can scream on a child, but you're pretending. It doesn't really bother you what he does. But because you told him before not to do it, now you have to teach him manners. It doesn't, you don't care if he does it or not. So now you have to put a show so you raise your voice, but it doesn't bother your heart. You're not getting angry. Your pulse doesn't go faster. You're not becoming red. You're not becoming emotional over it. You just raise your voice, you put the show and it's over. It means, it comes from the heart. This is what we say, What did Hashem hear when we scream? If a person screams to put a show, but it doesn't touch his heart. Let's say the rabbi has a congregation, a community. He opened the Aaron kodesh. Let's scream to Hashem that we have tragedies in our community. But now, in his mind, he made a lot of money today in the stock market. He's very happy. He made a lot of tons of money. He's in a very good mood. Somebody became two three people got cancer in the community. Yesterday, it bothered him very much. But today, he's in such a good mood that he's much, much happier than upset. But he has to put the show in front of his students. What is he going to say? Hashem, people become sick. But thank you very much. I made a million dollars today. It's not going to do anything. So he screams, But his heart is not he participating with the scream. He can scream until tomorrow. On the other hand, one person from the audience, maybe it's his father, maybe it's his brother, he doesn't scream so loud. He barely screams, but it comes from his heart. And you see he's dying. This one minute of this guy is more than 24 hours of this fake screaming. That does not come from the heart. That's why the Torah says, The Torah says there's one kind of prayer that Hashem always accepts. When it comes from a broken heart. When you cry and you're going crazy about your situation. Remember in my lecture a month ago, I, saw I met a friend of mine for many years ago. I made him religious. Then for a few years I lost contact with him. I went to a brick in Brooklyn and I found him. And he told me how much he suffered in the court here with the divorce and the children and he lost all his money. His life was a total mess. And he said to me, you know, the night before the trial, that that's the permanent decision of the judge. The judge hates me like I'm a murderer. You have to see how the judge treated me from the first moment of the trial. Like I'm a total garbage, doesn't let me talk. Everything I say, scream at me like he's about to kill me. I don't have 1% chance to get the children. And who knows what they're going to make me pay child support when I don't even have a job. This was my situation. He said to me, I went up to the street. I went crazy in the house. I couldn't stay in the house. I went to a quiet place. I started to scream from a broken heart, I started to cry, I started to say crazy things. I lost control about what I was talking. I started to scream, I blame Hashem, what do you want? You want my children to go to public school? Where you are, why are you doing this? I'm not fighting for myself. I try to keep this kid's religion, if they're gonna fall in their hands, they're gonna be in public school. Started to scream. Yeah, you had to see when he was describing to me how he was screaming, it was, like electric, imagine how it was when he was screaming. He said to me, I, start, I was screaming for until I couldn't talk anymore. Crying, screaming, going crazy, throwing my hands. He said, I was saying even to Hashem things you're not even supposed to say. But my pain was so huge that I felt that it's either now or that's it, it's all over. He said, I went to the court, she said something, the judge said, wait a minute, what did you just say? He called the lawyers, come, come to me please. Started to talk. Then the judge said to me, Mr. X, wait outside. I don't know what's going on. Then my lawyer comes up, he said, how long you can find a house? So why, why, why do you need me to find a house? He was living with someone, with an old man that allowed him to live, he didn't have a place to live. He doesn't have money to rent a place. An old man, I think he's a Holocaust survivor, gave him a room in his house. He's saying, how long you can get a house? I don't have a penny, nothing, no job, no nothing. I said, what do you need me to have a a house? He thought maybe for visitation. He said to him, can you have a a house within a month, next month? What am I gonna say? My lawyer asked me such a Yeah, yeah, of course I can get a house, but why? I think the judge totally changed. I don't know what's going on, the lawyer said. I don't understand, I really don't understand. I never saw in my life such a thing. He said, I have a feeling that the judge is about to, if I say yes, he will give you the kids. Custody. It wasn't even the court case. He's not even asking for custody anymore. Nobody gave up on this. Just let me pay something and leave me alone, Visitation. He went inside, the judge turned like, against his ex-wife. Shame on you, you lying in my courtroom. I ordered all the kids to him. He said to me, from the minute he said, the kids come to me, they took me back in business, it used to be a big shot in Manhattan. I went back into business, I'm making money, I found a house, I moved here, and that's where you meet me here. I pray in this Shulna. and I have the kids, and I put them in a the best yeshivot The best yeshivot. They don't accept kids over there. Each one of them, they accept it. Like the best Ashkenazi yeshivot. It's very difficult to get it. And I don't even pay full tuition and not even a third of it. One miracle after the other. It's saying in a million years, I never believe something like this can happen overnight. What happened? this is what it means. When you scream, but not loud, scream from a broken heart. That's called Vaishma Shemet Kolenu. They suffered so much in Egypt that it was already coming from the heart. Like we say, Shomea kol Shofar. Shofar, it doesn't come from the mouth, it comes from inside. You blow out your inside into the Shofar and it turns into that voice. Mi'umka de Liba. When we say Shma Kolenu in Etfila, don't don't hear what I say. Hear where it comes from. How it comes from a broken heart, devastated heart, V'Anitzak el Hashem We scream to our to Hashem our father. Khmosha new va'i bayamim a rabimayem vayamot melech mitzraim. Hashem made parodied. I have a question for you. We have a rule in Judaism. Every time it says vayahi, va'i bimeachash verosh, va'i be bayami arabim rabimayem. What does it mean vaihi? Is this a positive way or a negative way to describe the situation? When do you use the word vayahi? When something bad is coming, or when something good is coming? Yeah. Huh? Let me read it to you. Lama lashon tsar, means a tragedy. Are <speaking in Hebrew> shemet. It's good that the king of Egypt died. Hitler died. It's good or bad? So why the Torah call it Vaehi, <speaking in Hebrew> that it's bad? It should be something good. לפי lobe באמת He didn't really die. He became leprosy. He had leprosy. Tsarat. Like the like Mara teaches Someone who become with leprosy count like he died. Few people count like dead. You become blind. It counts like you died. You lost all your money. It counts like you died. You become with leprosy. It counts like you died. Why is it So why is it Vayehi? Okay, it's very good news. He got leprosy. No. Now he's gonna slaughter 300 Jewish babies every day, take their blood, fill up his jacuzzi with blood of Jewish kids and sit inside for hours every day. Because they believe that that's the cure for the leprosy. So now from the minute he got leprosy, every day 300 Jewish boys will be slaughtered, take away their blood, throw them to the garbage, that's what's gonna happen. That's why it's Now he has leprosy, he sits in a jacuzzi. He doesn't have time to take care of the slavery and Auschwitz and the camps. So now they have relief. We have relief. We don't work so hard like before. Why? Because the king who made us all this problem sitting in a bath, covered with Jewish blood, vata'al shavatam el alokim min avoda shavatam itsriten bereshit evrim makom da nitzav yehi its a place of sorrow and pain vehaya leshon simcha vehaya bayom hu its happiness veyehi sadness remember this okay and then and they ask why why you yourself der apenu the Gaon of says, "Vayei, it's also a Shonatid, From now on, that's what's going to happen, right? So it says like this. This is the clue of the light that Adam Arishon was. He had it. It's written in the Torah in Bereshit. It says like this. Vayei or. Vayei or. the Torah says. Vayei or. Bereshit, Barai l'ukim tashraim v'ta'avavavavavav." Vayiyo, vayom Hashem, vayiyo, right? Velaor kara yom, velachosher kara laila, vayiyo, vayiyo. Is a good thing or a bad thing? Until now, it was totally pitch black. Now, finally, the light came out. So, it's a good thing or a bad thing? It's a good thing, no? So, why the Torah says vayiyo? It should say vayyaho. Why it's bad? No, no, no. Ve'ayah means Lashonati. shonati. or it's in the past. Ve'ayah makes it future. Okay. So why why It should it should be a language ve'ayah or it's a good thing light. No, because this light was only for four days. In the four days that Hashem took away this light, with this light Adam could have seen like MRI from the walls with no limitation, no, no, no distance, no problems. You see non-stop to anywhere you want. You see, and you see, and you see. You have no, li- today you can see only 100 yards, that's it. You don't see anymore. You need glasses sometimes. Oh, it's too far, I can't see. But the light of Adam HaRishon was a spiritual light which was replaced from the light of the sun. So it's a downgrade. So why have I so bad that I made such a pure, perfect light and now you made the sin and I have to take it away from you? So where is this light? That's called Ora Ganuz. This light will become the light after all the resurrection of the dead and all the Tzadikim will come back and we come back to the level of Adam Arishon before the sin. Nobody will die, no more giving birth, no more incarnations, no more war no more evil inclination, no more laziness, no more sicknesses, no one is blind, no one is dead, nobody has to walk, nobody has to kill himself, traffic, wars, everything will be gone from the world. That's when this light will come back. La It's called Or It's a spiritual light, it does not come from the sun. It's a spiritual divine light. Right now, we have a light from the sun, which is also half spiritual. The light of the sun is half physical, half spiritual. Physical because it has a speed, 300,000 kilometers per second. Something that has a speed, it's physical. But it's also spiritual because once you stop the light and then you remove the obstacle, it accelerates back to 300,000 kilometers per second without any energy. Nothing is pushing. If I want to throw this bottle, if I throw it very hard, it would fly 100 yards. If I throw it a little bit less, it will fly 80 yards. Eventually it would stop. Why? Because the energy that pushed it finished. That's it, there's no more speed. If you burn gas, it moves the car. No more gas, there's no energy to create speed. But the speed of the sun, it's automatically 300,000 kilometers per second, even though there's no pushing power. It's constantly always moving the same speed. And when you stop the light, you put a black wall, and it hit the wall, and the light doesn't go to the other side of the wall. Once you open up the wall, the light goes to the other side, and accelerate immediately to 300,000 kilometers per second, not a minute more and not a minute less. The scientist has no answer to this. How is it possible that this light know always to be in this speed? Why? Because it's necessary to to maintain the creation. The speed of light, the speed of the earth, the speed of the earth around the sun, the speed of the moon around the earth, All these things creates the time that we have. 24 hours, 60 minutes an hour, Kriyat sunset, sunrise, Brit Milah, beginning of Shabbat, end of Shabbat. All of these things comes based on those physical and spiritual things combined with each other. Baruch Hashem. The last thing for today, another minute and we're done. And then the rest I'm going to have to do... (laughs) I guess I I didn't even finish a third of the Agada that's how it goes there's always unlimited amount of things to say but I just want to say this last thing it's short and we finish at that night I will pass in the land of Egypt me and not an angel what's the chidush that usually Hashem does what he wants by sending his angels to take care of business the Gaon Mivilna asks the Makat Bechorot striking on the first bones of Egypt, it came directly from Hashem, right? I will not let the destroyer come to your house to destroy. And the Gaon mi says, the says, Anyone that it was his time to die anyway that night. Some people are supposed to die natural dead. He's nine years old. Tonight was supposed to die. Is he going to die or not? Those firstborn, they will die in a minute, Hashem say All of them will fall and die. Well, what about regular people that supposed to die? He's not a firstborn, he's a thirdborn. And today it's his time to die. Is it good to kill him with them? Or it's better to give him another day of life? That he won't look like nature that everyone is dying. To make sure only firstborns are dying. So the Gaon Mivina says, Even if people are supposed to die that night, Hashem say to the angel of death, don't touch them. Keep them. It will ruin the miracle. Let them live another day. Tomorrow will take care of them. Why? The angel of death did not have permission to go and do what he's supposed to. Not to give the Egyptians any reason to think for a minute that this is nature and not the end of Hashem. So we arrived, Baruch Hashem, to this part in Agadah. On my next lecture, I'm going to try to explain all the secrets about it, and the simanim, the tzach, adash, ba'achav, and a lot of wonderful other things, a lot of secrets of the meaning of the words that, to be honest with you, even some of them I didn't know until I prepared this lecture. I was very surprised that words that we think all our life that they mean one thing. When you read the commentary of the Gaon Mivinah, you get the shock of your life. How words in Nibu, like gila, Ditzah, rina, chedva, all these words, each one of them means something here. For instance, you ask Israeli, what's the difference between sameach and gil? Gilu. Gil. Gil. What's gil? Gil it's happiness. Simcha it's also happiness. But there's a big difference between them. Ask them, what's the difference? Nobody knows. Even the professors in the university. Why the Torah use different words for happiness? One happiness, it's a temporary happiness. One happiness is only from the outside. One happiness is only when your enemies collapse, but it does not affect you in any way. Nothing good happened to you. Something over there happened. That's another. One happiness is eternal. It never reduces. Other happiness, it's now temporary, then it reduced to nothing. It's it's unbelievable. Every word has a unique thing about it. There's no two words in Judaism that are 100% equal. If in the Hebrew modern language that is totally, totally far away from the inside of the Torah, because it was made by wicked people, they renew they all language, but they added a lot of their own words and expressions, and many of them are the opposite of the truth, because it was made by communists, Eliezer Ben Yehuda, they were not even Shomer Shabbat, these people, In understand, sense, so whatever they knew from the Gemara, they got Talmideh Chachamin to do. The rest, whatever they liked, they did. Some of the words, the way they translated it, it's the opposite of the Torah, the opposite. I don't know if they did it on purpose, or it was accidental, Let's give them the benefits of the doubt, even though you are not supposed to give to wicked people the benefits of the doubt. Maybe they just didn't know from left and right. But when you learn the official, authentic language of the Torah, you'll be shocked how many thousands of words are totally different than the way of, the, 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 what, they, what we speak today in Israel, the Hebrew. Totally different. Which means that sometimes when we pray in our own language to Hashem, the way we were brought and raised in Israel, we ask negative things from him. With, without knowing that we actually ask for something bad to happen to us. Because the way they translated the words is the opposite of what the Torah translated the word. That's how bad it can be. What can I say? This is, it is what it is. Beklat Hashem, I'm going to have one more lecture tomorrow night. And then after that, maybe I'm going to have one lecture in Cholam Moed, at least to finish what I can. The rest we'll do for next year. Baruch Adonai לעולם. Amen amen.